Hey there, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of At the Elephants. Excited to get this episode in your inbox this week. It is with a very dear friend of mine, Mr. Stephen Kopp. He is a graduate of the drama directing program of uh, 2013, same as myself and Mr. Wiley Gorn and Mr. Daniel Kelly. Wiley Gorn's already out. Daniel Kelly's still to come, I believe, on Thanksgiving. Uh, we're doing two episodes a week of At the Elephants, and uh, it's going great for everybody who's been tuning in and hanging on and checking out the new show, the new season. Uh, much appreciated. It is um, felt uh, very sincerely by yours truly. I've been working on doing this show for like eight years on and off, and it is one of my favorite things to do, so I appreciate you giving it your time and energy. Um, great episode today. Steven is an God, I'm like I'm struggling to find the words only because, which if you listen to me is unusual, um, because Stephen is so important to me and such a big part of my life. Um, not everyone I talk to on the show is a really close uh, best friend of mine, but Stephen definitely is. And he and I haven't had a chance to connect that much in the last few years. Um, so this was a great, great catch-up session. And if you want to know what's been going on with Stephen, uh, if you know Stephen and maybe haven't seen him uh, in a while, uh, this is a great episode for you. We're going to talk about um, his uh, getting into like Twitch streaming and playing video games online and stuff like that. Um, you can check him out. I believe it's at Cop Cop, but the, the O in Cop uh, are zeros. Uh, so K0PP, K0PP. I think that's right. Um, he's that on most things. Um, we're going to talk about sobriety. Uh, we're going to talk about that classic story of, of getting out of school and going where you think you're supposed to go and doing what you think you're supposed to be doing and how it goes from there. Um, very unpredictable. And then, of course, as for many of us, the uh, pandemic uh, had a big effect on what he was doing and how he was looking at things. And so we're going to get into that. Uh, without further ado, uh, we will have um, Shayna Penn on Thursday. Um, and also coming out soon, I was just looking at my list, but we've got uh, Joe Flanders, we've got Andrew Jernigan, we've got Ellie Barone, we've got Caitlin Allen, we've got uh, a lot of great people coming up. Kyle Siegel uh, just popped into my brain. So many great episodes of At the Elephants coming up soon, available on all platforms, We're doing the YouTube, the Apple, the Spotify. So if you want to watch this interview, it is available on YouTube, um, but otherwise listen to it where you listen to stuff. Uh, all right, that's it. Thank you, and love you, and bye-bye. Or, well, not goodbye, but here's Steven. It's such a good microphone when you get up and walk around. It is fucking silent. It's like your your noise reduction is so good. <laughs> Thank you. Let's actually, let's get some lighting. That's better. Yeah. Get that other more industrial ring light. There we go. Get your autofocus rocking. Yeah. The, what's funny is that um, because I was streaming off the Apple, the Mac Pro that my work gave me. And eventually it just was like, I can't do this anymore. Why are you doing this to me? Right. And so I said, fuck it. I've got to buy a PC. And as soon as I bought the PC, it's the same camera and the same microphone, but just because the processing power is better, everyone was like, oh, my God, or what? Like, what happened? Right? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Upgrade time, baby. Upgrade time. 
I just did the same thing, except I just bought another Mac. Oh, smart. I bought a Mac Mini. It's the one that's like 700 bucks, but it doesn't come with a screen or anything. You have to buy like the... You have to buy everything separate. It's like their desktop now that doesn't yeah, yeah. come built into a whatever. It's dope though. Been doing all my editing on it. It's very fast. Yeah, well, that's the irony. I do all my editing on Final Cut Pro, but I stream on a PC. So I'm I'm back to that age old issue of moving files around and massive Google Drive storages and blah, blah, blah. It's way easier than it used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like it used to be impossible to try to do that and play that game unless you could like download the other operating system on your separate thing and just like oh, yeah. switch back and forth. Yeah, do that thing where people split the whatever. I was like, that's too technical for me, Hanny. I right. can't do that. <laughs> You're telling me every time I have to turn the computer off and then turn it back on and hold a button and then make uh, it go into no, you no, lost me. No, sorry. Somehow two different <laughs> machines and TVs is easier. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. It's fine. So how are you uh, doing, buddy? I'm I'm doing good. Um, it's my you're, we are recording this on my birthday weekend. So right, happy birthday, bro! It was just Thank like you. was it yesterday? No, it's Monday. But I just like a basic white person. I just was like, yeah, you weekend. get several. Yeah, you get several <laughs> days. Well, if it's yeah. on Monday of a three day holiday weekend, I mean, we'll give it to you. Come on. Thank Come you. Now. It's always it's always Labor Day. So I think my mom plotted that when she gave birth. She was like, he's going to have a three day weekend every birthday. <laughs> and so few people get to go into labor on Labor Day. So good for your mom. <laughs> yes, that's rare. <laughs> Cheers, Bob. <laughs> you got it. Hey, hey. So you have all this fancy gear because you've been making content, doing streaming and video game stuff. And talk talk to me, baby. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to talk because you came to the wedding, but we didn't get to talk about this because that's what it's I like know. when you get married. You talk to no yeah. one at all. Yeah, I know. You were you were way too busy getting married for this to matter. Um, which also, BT Dubs, amazing wedding. That was super fun. Did you have blast. a good time? I had a blast. Like, literally, that was so... One, that was like my first big wedding as like a sober individual. And mm. I I really leaned into the like, okay, I'm just here to like make sure people don't get fucked up. Like I'm, you know, like being the designated DD the whole time. I was like, actually, I'm here for this. Like this sort of being of service to my friends in this way is um, really fulfilling. And so, and like, I think it was a man. Well, who was it? Uh, it was rainy when I showed up at the house that everybody was staying at. All your, uh, all your, by your, like half I, my party moved out of the bachelor your, house and then into yeah. an Airbnb because they're all I, communal like that. I got to that Airbnb and everybody went off to go like take care of tasks, and I was like, "This fucking kitchen is a mess." <laughs> Just like wiped everything down, organized everything, and people came back and they're like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "You're welcome." But and we didn't make it easy on you. We did have two of your former uh, things that you like to do that you don't do anymore. It's, it's true. Not, it's not everyone is like. Not only are you tempted with the bar, but we have another bar that has weed and. I yeah yeah. Well, that's the irony of like uh, of of being two years. So August seventeenth is my sober date. So I'm now two years sober, and like that stuff. It's funny how the further away from it you get, the less tempting it is. Um, because it's just, I'm at a point where it's like, this is not a part of my life that I need to engage in. 
And right. also I, 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 now I find it adorable when people are like, oh my God, is it okay if I'm having a glass of wine right now? I'm like, listen, you're totally fine. <laughs> like, right. like my, don't let my choices affect you because like controlling you and your choices is like not my job. Right. So you how long you did that take? Or did that, was that always a part of your sobriety? Just like not. I mean, you have your own oh. issues maybe, but I mean, like to have a resentment for others, was that ever a thing? Cause I could totally understand if it would be. I think it was when I went, so I did a, um, I did about a nine month withdrawal. Um, I, you know, most people suggest 90 days, which is three months, but I just kind of said, you know what, we're just going to do, we're going to go until I feel like I need to re-engage the world in a, in a healthy way. And, um, so it's about and nine full months. disclosure. I should say that I've, n- I've not talked to you about any of this. We really weren't no. like in yeah. much communication during the time. It's true. Um, so yeah. And it's, uh, well, it's also part of that withdrawal period that nine months was such a chosen cloistered existence, mm. right? Like I called it monastic at the time where like, I knew that what I was going through was very uh, difficult and that I needed to be very careful about where I put myself and who I put myself around. And so it was like, I'm going to surround myself with the the immediate New York people that I need in order to stay safe and protected and sober and my family. Um, And that doesn't change, for instance, the friends that are like not in New York that I still feel very close with, like yourself. It just means that like right now it has to be it has to be as first circle as possible to survive. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, And it was very, very difficult because rewiring your brain is uh, is a subtle pain. It's not like it's not an easy thing to do, Um, but there wasn't really ever resentment. It was just more of like protection, right? right? Like I just need to protect myself and where I go and what I do and who I'm around. And then eventually after like nine months, I, you know, cause I was also off social media for nine months, which is extremely ironic for the fact that I'm now in content creation and I'm living in social media. Um, but I had to take away, I had to take a step away from it for nine months to even be able to st- re-engage it. And understand how do I re-engage this in a way that is uh, sober and safe for me? Because I recognize my brain is very powerful at latching on to uh, obsessive things like social media that are also dopamine, basically dopamine IV drips at this point. Yeah, for so sure. So it's like, you know, little slot it's like machine. my brain's really good at this. Yeah, little slot machine. But it's like my brain's great at this, but also I need to, you know give myself some defining boundaries on it. Do you mind if um, I rewind a little bit just because we weren't, yeah. we, we haven't really talked about this and, and kind of maybe go to the root of when you thought this became a real issue and how that, how you ended up sober, if you're comfortable talking about that only because yeah. when we knew each other more closely, which was almost 10 years ago, it mm-hmm. was, it didn't seem to me like you had an issue at that time with overindulgence or taking it too far. I mean, we all smoke and drink. We were in fucking college, right, but right. It, it never felt, I mean, and there were people in our lives that we were like, whoa, <laughs> they need to maybe just slow down a little bit. Yeah, and you never like really, at least when I was with you, it didn't feel as though you were dealing with that, but was that an issue then? Um, I think all things in context and retrospect. Yes. Right. 
Okay. I think what a lot of people, so I had a feeling we'd talk about it. So I like, I went through a little mental You kind of brought of my, it up and I'm very I interested did. No, in I was it, like, so. I was like, well, it's a big part of the content creation journey. So you kind right. of have, they have to be a little bit attached, right? It's like an act one um, situation. Yeah. So I, you know, right before the pandemic, my life was producing theater, writing and producing a musical. I was working a nine to five at a startup company that I'm still working at. And I was in a committed five-year relationship. We were living together and I was, you know, executing a podcast that this company had made for me. There was so I remember much, that. Right? It was like the working podcast or something. What was yeah, it called? The workplace podcast workplace, where I was interviewing. Right, right, right. Yeah. I was interviewing people in the operations field to talk about like, how do you become an operations professional? And it was, it was great. It was really cool. Um, and I had all this this stuff going for me. And then and then the pandemic hit. And I think like my entire life got pulled upside down because there's no theater. Thankfully, my job kept me. I was very grateful for that. Um and then the podcast said, hey, we're not going to keep making more episodes. And I said, well, that's kind of weird because this is actually a prime time to make podcasting episodes in the pandemic because interviewing people is easy. Right. Um, but but sure. Um, yeah, weird time my, to cancel that. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But whatever. Um, and then my relationship of five, five, five and a half years uh, ended in May of 2020. And that Oof. is where this sort of addiction um uh, you know, box started to open up because I had navigated, I had navigated addictive behavior, uh, in, in a few times in the relationship, right? I'll keep everything anonymous and like vague just to protect myself sure. and protect the individuals involved. But yeah, of course, dude, <clears throat> it is called, it is called anonymous for a reason. Uh, so, but my partner and I at the time, or my boyfriend at the time, whatever, had navigated a few moments of addictive behavior, and we had worked through it. And um, it kind of all came to a head where I basically spent the the year before just living a double life. I would go to work, and I would engage in behavior that was not who the person I was was when I was with my partner. And then when I was with him at home... It was like, okay, well, this is a version of me. And then when you're not here, whether that's at work or if he was working, he waited tables in the evening. So he would work like 5 to 2 a.m. Um, I would be a completely different person. And that sort of compartmentalized double life fell apart when he figured it all out because I continued to try and engage in addictive behavior in the pandemic when we were locked in an apartment together. Um, and he said, I can't really do this anymore. Right. And um, and that was the moment where I was like. I kind of saw the wreckage of my life and was standing in the middle of it, holding a detonator button. And I went, what the fuck did I just do? You know, and. I lost friends, I lost, you know, we moved out of that apartment. I my parents were shattered. Um, so many people were affected my friends, so many people were affected by the concussive blast and the collateral damage of the choices that I had made. And that sort of double life is the thing where I, you know, where I was like, oh, this isn't sustainable. And what that kind of manifests itself as is that like, I was a secret drinker. There's a reason why you, Rob, and my friends never knew this or never perceived it to be a 
a problem that I had. And that's because I would drink and smoke weed alone and no one knew. And then I would also control the information that people would perceive. So for instance, if my boyfriend was working, I would buy a six pack of beer and I would drink that entire six pack in a night and smoke a bowl or two. And then I would take the bottles of beer and I would take them outside to the trash out into the building so that he never knew that those bottles ever existed. And that sort of, you know, when I, when I finally got a sponsor and 12 step, my sponsor was like, you know, your dad was an alcoholic. He drank himself to death. There's addiction on your mom's side too. You may not identify as an alcoholic right now in this moment, because drinking a six pack of beer is not out of the normal for most human beings or a bottle of wine or whatever you want to call it, right? That's a, a fine thing for adults to do. But the way that you're controlling the information and who knows what and when and where and why, that is addiction. And that is very dangerous. And I said, you're right. You are right. And uh, my therapist at the time, I got a therapist when the relationship ended. Um, she said, you have to do something. If you don't, you have an opportunity right now to change everything about your life. Or not. <laughs> like, or not. You can continue doing exactly what you want to do. Nobody's going to stop you. I'm not going to stop you. Do whatever the fuck you want. But you are given a choice here. And she really pushed me to join 12 Step and to just sit in the room, listen. Um, and she's like, if you identify and relate with what these people are saying, start there. Right. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I do. When I look back, even at my time in college, even at my time in grad school, undergrad, like I would, uh, prime example, the, uh, the house that I lived in with Layton and Wiley in that summer, right before Layton and Wiley even moved in. When I had that whole house to myself, I drink every night every night. Even if I told myself, I don't want to drink tonight, I would still drink. And there's a lot to unpack inside of that of self-worth of, am I comfortable being alone? Clearly I'm not because I fill that alone time with substances. And when I was in my withdrawal period, all of those memories started to come back all of those things started to be like, oh shit, that happened. Oh fuck, I did that. Oh my God, that, holy shit, I totally, you know. And when it all starts to sort of blossom as my memory cleared and my brain re rewired, I started to realize that the dominoes were laid long before my relationship ended and that choices and patterns of behavior had set me up to this moment. Um. The beauty of all of that is through that pain and that destruction um, is this, is a version of myself that I truly feel like is my, my, me, Stephen, as an honest person existing in a reality that I know to be true, that I can reach out and interact with that doesn't feel so far detached from myself that I am walking through it. What's the... um what's the fight club quote, like a copy of a copy of a copy, right? Um, and it also spawned this content creation, which I never thought I would ever be doing. So um, 
but yeah, that's the, um, there's a reason why people never thought that I had a problem. That's because I made sure they didn't know about it. <laughs> oh, you're mute. I can't hear you. No. Is it me? I think it's you. Ah, oh, it's me. Now I got you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I felt bad because at one point I kind of started talking over you and you kept going and I was like, oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it was my, <laughs> it was a good reminder of me to shut up and let people tell their stories, which I'm terrible about on this show <laughs> that people know from watching. Um, and I, and I, I had so many thoughts, obviously, as you were saying all of that, I would, the first thing I said when you finished was you did a very good job of hiding it because it wasn't something that, uh, like I said at the beginning, it wasn't something that I ever suspected. And we got high all the time. Like all we did was like smoke weed and then we would go to parties and of course we would drink, but we all did. It felt like you were living at the same level as us. And even if you weren't like going crazy, I totally recognize what you say about what your sponsor said. Like that really resonates with me. There's a difference between Here's it, you know, here I'll, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to reiterate it. The idea that you were hiding it is, was the, the problem. But what I was asked once um, in a relationship as it was ending, we went to a couple's therapy together and the issue came up of talking about whether or not I had an addiction to sex or an addiction to pornography. And mm. we, and, and I was like, well, if I, let's see, if I had it my way, I would definitely do both of those every day. And, um, I don't want to stop doing that. So, <laughs> does, so that make, does that make, does that make me an addict? And I really was asking these questions and, and they started bringing up a bunch of things that I was like mid twenties, a bunch of things that I had never considered before as elements of addiction. And my wife is in grad school for social work right now. So we talk about this stuff fucking constantly now, which is fascinating to me. I don't have a problem with it. Um, but when I was having that experience, she was like, well, let me ask you a few questions about your relationship to these two things. And we kind of lumped them together and yeah. we're like, you know, they're both in the same realm for sure. But, um, okay. When you feel pain, do you feel those things are salvations for you out of that pain? And do they ever feel like they are your only salvations out mm. of that pain? Like, mm. do you feel like, oh my God, I'm hurting so bad. I need sex or I need pornography and I need it right now. And I was like, no, I don't. I was like, in fact, if I'm really upset, I'm not in the mood for that. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't activate for me. So no. And she was like, okay. And then she was like, do you find that other than in this relationship, which very well may have its other, other issues at play, do you find that those two things, uh, how does she put it, are keeping you from functioning in your life the way you would like to. And I was like, other than this relationship, no, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like I just, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about to get kicked out of school or lose my job or, you know, I'm not broke or whatever, whatever problem you might have. I don't have any of those problems though. I have some of them. They're, they're not because of that at all. Mm -hmm. And she was like, 
Well, then it's, it doesn't sound like you're addicted to sex or pornography. It sounds like you just enjoy sex and pornography. And I was right. like, like, I, <laughs> it really did, dude. It blew my mind because I was like, no, I thought if you have it every day and you want it every day and you can't imagine a life without it, that's what addiction is. And she was like, and yeah, these other things. And if these other yeah. things aren't an element and it's not fucking your life up and you're just doing it every day, then you just like it. And that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. The like, uh, one, yeah, I, and that's I, been I, my continued experience with that. I think your wife is spot on. And I think we should have, I want to, I should have a lot more conversations with her now that I actually, I've actually met her from your wedding because she's, she's very right. The, your relationship to the task or activity or the substance is the key part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not it's a compulsion, right? There's two words that the AA big book is sitting on my bedside table right over there. Um, there's two words that the AA big book goes back to multiple times. And the big book is what, you know, you can read the AA book and translate it to any addiction, right? Just change the word alcohol for whatever, but it's one compulsion and two allergy. I have an allergy to a thing, which means that if I put that thing in my body or engage in that activity, does it fundamentally change my person? Do mm. I immediately become a different version of myself in a way that isn't like what a mind altering substance like drugs or alcohol would be for any other person, right? And that's always the thing that I go back to is that like, at, now that I've been away from it for two years, I know that if I if I have a sip of beer, I'll have the whole six pack. I can't not. Mm. It's not a choice and anymore. It just happens. Um, so I just don't. Right. right. Um, and the, you know, the sex and love part of, of it that you explained too, like in the withdrawal period, withdrawal from pornography and masturbation was a part of it too, mm. because that's all wrapped up in how your, your brain processes dopamine. So right. it's my sponsor was like, we're going to take everything off the table because it's going to be best to just start there. And which is why I quantified it as a monastic existence, because <laughs> it's like no pornography, masturbation, drugs or alcohol. Like monastic. That means like monk like, right? Monk like. Yes, Got exactly. Um, but in that time, you make space for discovering what you do like to do that isn't you know, there's a bunch of different words for it, bottom line, or like there's a bottom pillar, a bunch of different people quantify it different ways, right? But it's the behaviors that I don't want to engage in. And then you cultivate space for new behavior to unfold as you learn about yourself in the withdrawal period. So for me, I was grateful enough to have moved into this apartment uh, when I started my withdrawal period, which Got was it. huge because it allowed me to uh, nest which was a physical activity and a physical activity is huge in withdrawal to really get, you know, some people go to the gym, they take up swimming, they take up a sport. There's so many different versions of like physical activity that people take up and withdrawal. And for me, it was unpacking boxes, hanging pictures. I painted furniture. I've never like, when did I want to paint furniture? But now here I am painting all this stuff. And um and that's that, nesting that's like making your home the way you want it to be right exactly um 
I didn't know that term until a friend of mine was like, oh my God, you're nesting. I was like, what does that mean? I moved so much growing up that I heard it all the time, like from therapists because I was also in therapy when I was young. And Mm -hmm. so they would be, that came up for sure. I'm really glad that you had that opportunity because that that's really helpful. I think that's one of the few things that I look back on about growing up and moving. Like I I said, some like 20 something bedrooms by the time I graduated high school and it, yeah. And it went one because we moved a lot and then my parents split and then they moved a lot. And Mm -hmm. so it's like every other few months and parent was in a different place and they would each do it and different States and all that. But I always hated packing, but I loved moving in. Yeah. I loved like getting the, exactly what you said, getting the boxes, being like, you know what? I never liked that fucking poster over my bed anyway. That poster's going over here, or that poster's going in the fucking trash because I'm not eight anymore. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, and that's yes. like, I didn't have the experience because my room was like a, I'm trying to think of something that's like a comparison, like almost like the way MySpace used to let you change the wallpaper and the song. Oh, and the yeah, plays. yeah. My room was always like that. It was like an immediate reflection of whatever I was into because I'd only been living there for like six months. Uh-huh. So like I would go to other kids like bedrooms that I would become friends with when I moved and they'd have like fucking Power Rangers up in like but right next to like my chemical romance and Uh you're like there's this is like a whole journey like i can look around and i see (laughs) photos when you're four photos when you're 14 and i was like i don't have any of that shit every room i'm in is like this age right now yeah but it's it gives you so much capture in time you know yeah it's like a snapshot of what you're into and shit and i love that you had that in that moment because it 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 forces you to go what am i into what do I like? What are my aesthetic choices and what brings me joy? Like what, what do I want to look at every fucking day? And I don't think people think about that enough. They said it and then they forget it. And then they don't realize they're living in a red room for like five years. (laughs) Like I'm fucking angry. (laughs) Who, who you, what, what, no, what? Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. My therapist told me when I was moving into the apartment, she was like, Steven, I don't want you to consult anybody about the way that you decorate the apartment. I was like, what do you mean? And she, she's like, you're really guilty of asking other people for their thought on things, um, which has its, has its uses. But for now, in this moment, I want, don't ask anybody, don't ask your mom, don't ask your friends, just decorate it how you want to decorate it. That sounds like Gerald. It's yeah, I know, right? It's like, just don't ask, just do just it. Don't, and just do it'll it. be good. You got your shoes. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget that. I can't. I can't let go of the shoes moment. There, I'll be walking around New York City and be like, shoes. Don't forget them. You need do you your wanna, shoes. Do you want to tell everyone what you're talking about? Yeah. So it's um. I don't. It's like how do I simplify it enough? We were in rehearsal for. It was Major was Barbara, show? right? It was Major Barbara. And we were all sitting around, the whole class was sitting around this big circular set of tables. And we had just done like a run, 30 I people. 30 people. We had just done a run. And Gerald, God love him, uh, was there to watch the run and give notes. And Mary This Irwin's is after and- he had his stroke. And because yes. for our entire time in the program, he had like serious aphasia. And it was all about having Robert or Ashley on his shoulder to kind of help translate. We yeah, got pretty so good at it after two years of kind of we digging did. through yeah. what he was Putting trying to pe- say. The pieces together of the but of he, the concept he, thought, you know. He was a dull knife at this point who used that yeah. used to be quite sharp. So if anyone listening is like, what where but, is this going? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So 
but he's giving notes about the run and Mary Irwin, our our Shakespeare voice and speech teacher is sitting there and he the note was just uh don't forget your shoes on the day. Um you're going to need shoes. So they're very important and uh so yeah, shoes. And even like there's this I mean there were collective looks across the table but even Mary Irwin was like um so what Gerald's trying to like even she's trying to catch it and like roll it back you know because all of us are like what <laughs> he might be but done he might he <laughs> might be done with this and we love him so much and we everyone even knows this is the last thing but if you weren't sure if you were yeah. like maybe he could do another year it was moments like that which of course I only point out because in contrast like 5 minutes later he would say some like poignant perfect thing really yeah that just like changed and you're like fuck that's what this whole play is about and Mm -hmm. so that came packaged with those but it was in that time when it was also make sure you wear fucking (laughs) shoes when you do the play because your character would have shoes and so if you come out barefoot in this scene as a soldier yeah yeah no one's gonna know what the fuck you're talking about because they're gonna be staring at your feet the whole time not an issue anyone brought up and not a concern that anyone had (laughs) But I just want to address it. I'm gonna nip it in the bud. Where now it's like my meme culture brain now pairs that Gerald's voice and that moment to the shoes. Oh my god, shoes. And now I just right. hear that meme in Gerald's voice and the two of them combined together. I wish we had recorded him so we could lay it over that tune that's in that yes. song. Yeah. Shoes. Don't forget shoes. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get you right there while you're no, drinking. no, no, that was great. Um, spit takes, uh, but out, so out of all of that, right. right, One of the positive behavior things that I discovered was that like, I like to play video games already. I like to play magic, the gathering with my friends. These are, I like to play D and D. These are community and communal things that I enjoy doing, except I play video games mostly by myself or maybe sometimes with friends online. But I'm I was a solo like, video gamer too. I yeah, I yeah, I've known you you have been in the, you know, like you very much were like, I'm gonna do the one player storyline and you get in I there. I play GTA online now and I've been playing it for like whatever seven, eight years it's been out, but I only play it in invite only sessions where I'm the only one in the whole city. <laughs> and I, I i get to play this fantasy yeah where i'm just like los angeles is mine it's a it's it is truly the greatest escape that's beautiful oh <laughs> uh, yeah solo is the way king, to go man king of la yeah um, who wants to deal with a bunch of fucking noobs uh it reminds me of a, I, that movie free guy just anytime people talk about like giant Great online Great movie. I was like, wow, this is so good. The representation of those massive online worlds were just like, shit is going wrong everywhere. <laughs> just the constant missiles and explosions. Yeah, and Yeah. It's just like, wow. That, and that, I would say of all the video games, because I, I play every now and then, I'll play a game for like a couple hours. I usually bail and I'm like, this was fun. And then I go back to doing the like two games I like. Mm-hmm. But that of all the games... Free Guy is as close to GTA Online or like a Fortnite that you could get. It's so yes. on the nose. Absolutely. But I'm I'm not mad about it as long as there's no other people. Because like <laughs> real life, it fucking ruins everything when other people start getting around. 
I hate people. <laughs> I just I just don't believe in sitting in traffic I'm not allowed to destroy with a minigun. Yeah, for sure. That's that the only traffic sense. I can handle. <laughs> Lives in LA? What? <laughs> what? Uh, what? Uh, I, but I, like, so I, like, that was a part of it. And a very close friend of mine, Chia Marita, who you know, sure. um, who... Chie and I had a brunch. This was around my birthday, 2020, September 2020. And she was like, I was talking to her about like, I don't know what to do creatively. I have been out of a creative mindset from basically April through September of 2020. And I'm I'm working and then I'm playing video games and I'm playing magic and that's my life right now. Um, and she was like, well, Stephen, you, you keep opening up a toolbox and all the tools inside are useless right? They're from an old industry. You don't know what to do with them. They make you sad when you look at them because they're reminding you of a time that doesn't exist anymore, right? Um, And she's like, so you should take all the tools out of the toolbox and uh, keep the ones that are good and that will serve you. Throw the rest of them out. And the hard part is you're going to have to put new tools in the box, which means learning new things and learning new things takes time. And I was like, damn, like, she's right, you know, like, she's Theater absolute... people and their poetic metaphors, man. I, yeah, right, like, and so... Well, we did for four years. It's true, it's true, it was metaphorical concepts. Uh, so, I went home, and I, you know me, I like, my my brain likes to, like, throw a bunch of stuff on a wall or a giant piece of paper, it's kind of visually how my artistic Big process time. works. We're going to talk Is about that, that too. That's one Great. of my favorite things about you. There's a um, there's a whiteboard wall right here. Actually, this entire wall of my bedroom is a whiteboard wall. Um, so of course but, it is. Of course it is. Uh, he works if at a startup company. He it, the whiteboard guys, it, walls. At his, at his old house, it was chalk. So he's really it upgraded was, and moved into the upgraded. new century. So much easier to clean. The next oh one's a laser wall. <laughs> it's just the Tony Stark like AR yep. like moving the panels around and shit. It's gonna be Jarvis um, style, baby. You know it. Uh, so, but I I threw a bunch of stuff on a piece of paper. I was like, what's working? What doesn't work? And the stuff that I wanted to do was like, I like branding. I like the podcasting parks. I got to create stuff. Any moment where I got to create um, was was a big pivotal moment. And but now I don't have the physical space of the theater and I don't have the accessibility of multiple people and teams and actors and designers. So I was also watching Twitch at the time and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know subscriptions, channel points, bits. I didn't know what any of this terminology meant. I just watched yeah. it because people were doing cool stuff about it. Um, I'm like you were then. I don't know what you just said. Yeah, which I'm happy to explain if we need to. but. Um, the 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 person there's two people that got me kind of into Twitch. One, uh, Crank Gameplays or Ethan Nestor, who was a YouTuber who pivoted over to Twitch. Um, still does YouTube and Twitch. I was like, I love this guy. I love his energy. He's got that like boy next door, but then it can also be kind of raunchy, sassy at times. Um. And then this guy named Wasabi, who is no longer streaming, I believe, but Wasabi got extremely famous. There were articles written about what he was doing. He was doing Animal Crossing Drag Race in the pandemic. And he basically put out a theme for the week 
he farmed millions of bells. People would make costumes and they would fly to his island and he built a runway and he built lights and he built uh, all this stuff and he would do fucking drag race with Animal Crossing and it just blew up. And I was like, what a crazy idea that people are taking video games and turning them into creative platforms. Um, so I said, okay, well, what if I learned what Twitch is? What if I learned how do you do it? I had no idea how people even, how do you get the, how do you get the game from the Switch onto the <laughs> computer screen? I don't know. I, and it was all Do you have a name for that character? That, no, I don't. That struggles to put things together. Who is that? Um, but I, I don't, I do have the, um, there's a, uh, one of the things on my channel is, uh, called fun facts that people can redeem. And when I, when they redeem it, it just gives me a random fun fact. And so what I do is I put on these glasses, uh, and I go, I go, uh, fun fact, everybody. Uh, did you know that the fastest recorded raindrop in history is eight miles per hour? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, so, Man, so, what a life, right? You could just be stupid on camera. Uh, I well, love this. So I can find this on are, Twitch. It's on Twitch. There's a lot of like the channel gets a lot of care. Like it's either something that I'm doing or for instance, I don't. Let me, there's a Tom Holland pillow on my, I my bed him. there. Yeah. yeah. Tom has become a, a recurring character in the in the stream. Um, and on my YouTube videos where I'll talk to him and then we'll kind of have a little back and forth and chat. We'll talk to him and check in with Tom and see how he's doing. I'm a um, big fan. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I, was, I learned what an OBS is, which is a broadcasting software, which is how you get the game onto Twitch. Right. I learned what all that subscriptions and follows people can if you if you get to the point where you can monetize your Twitch channel, which you have to meet a certain number of requirements, people can literally pay like, you know, there are so many other subscription services out there, but like they can pay you $5 a month because they like your content and get access to certain things that other people don't have access to. And I was like, what, what? do you give them, Steven? Uh, there's a lot of different emotes or emoticons or emojis, whatever you want to call them, that I've had designers make that are like on brand for the stream. So if you sub at different tiers, uh, $5, $10, or $15, I believe, or $20, you um, get access to different types of these emojis, which you can then use all across Switch, um, which is a version of its own branding and marketing. Uh, that's a that's an NFT, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's basically it's like a like digital a tiny... asset that they're just buying the ability to like thumbs sideways or whatever the fuck that you yeah. do. Yeah, Got it. exactly. That's fucking genius. Um, Anyone who's out there selling almost nothing, I'm impressed. <laughs> is Yeah, it's doing great. Uh, but so it has value I, or you wouldn't be able to sell it. Right, exactly. And it's also, there's a big controversy right now in the Twitch community about using other streamers' uh, emojis in other channels. And is that a form of advertising or not? Ooh. And some people are for it. Some people are against it. And my I'm I'm a little like sassy about it because I work in marketing. I work in social media and I'm like, y'all, have we checked the guidelines for why Twitch made this a thing? 
Because it literally in the Twitch guidelines says, these are a way for you to brand and market yourself in other people's channels. So it is an ad. And I was like, I was like, it is an ad. You can't, we can't deny that it's not an ad. And why wouldn't <laughs> it be if you create something original and visual and then other people are reposting that somewhere else? How is that? I mean, that is, that's brand building. That's what it is. Exactly. So my, like my stance on that argument, like it's y'all, this is, this is, this is an ad. This is branding and marketing. That's why uh, I don't send thumbs up emojis. I have my own. That's just a flashlight pointing up <laughs> or down or down. Yeah. Well, yeah. it depends on your mood really. Um, exactly. Well, and if I agree or disagree. Yeah. What's <laughs> the, um, What's the flashlight that's going around with the like the, <laughs> the circumcised uncircumcised light? Have you seen this? What? Yes. <laughs> it's. I a, can it's tell you lamp. one thing. I'm only interested in the circumcised light. It's it's a lamp here. I'll 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 demonstrate. This is I can't believe we're recording this. It's a lamp that sits on your wall like this, and it's got like it's like a thing that rolls up sleeve. over the bulb. Yeah. And then you can pull the bulb, the sleeve down, and the bulb little turns turtleneck. Uh huh. And then you can turtleneck back up, and the light turns off. And people are like, "That's a, that's a penis." Like if, that's a, <laughs> if the light's been on for too long and it's hot, does it make it almost impossible to roll it up? <laughs> it just melts to the side of it. Yeah. You're like, I don't think. I mean, it's just really, really it's on. Been, it's been four hours. Should we call it's, a repairman? <laughs> well, or your doctor, they say. Or your doctor, yeah. 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 It's the only lamp that you call a doctor for if it's broken. <laughs> that and those from the Georgia O'Keeffe collection. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had to balance it out. Thank you. Um, so I taught myself an OBS. I learned how to do Twitch. I went to the Magic Magic the Gathering group. We play every Saturday anyway. I was like, can I just press record, like press go live and see if anybody shows up? We're going to do this anyway. And they were like, yeah, sure. And people showed up. Um, so I streamed for all of, I took, I took October to learn all of the stuff. And then I started streaming in November. And November to like December, people started to show up and I had hit almost all of the requirements to do the, um, to get the platform monetized, except for I was missing like 12 followers. You have to hit 50 followers. I think I was missing like 12 followers. So my producer brain kicked in and I was like, oh, I need to do a collab. I need to like get another channel to collab with me so that we can get yeah. traction and audience, right? Totally. So I, I reached out to this YouTube channel that I had been friends with named Elder Elder Drunken Highlander. Um, Josh and Austin and Kevin, they're great guys. Uh, I was like, hey, can we have your guys come on our channel and we'll do a big collab? It'll be like six hours and the goal will be to get the rest of the follower count. And they're like, yeah. So we did it. I got the channel monetized, which meant I was able to start actually getting a paycheck if i i think twitch is like if you hit a hundred dollars uh, a month from subscriptions cash donated Just all, all of that it. stuff all of it right you get a check right so i was like well now now this is a thing this isn't just me playing magic on saturdays like now there's a chance for me to actually start making something out of this mm -hmm. um so i said, all right, let's get it. Let's get a thing so I can stream the Switch. And I started playing Switch games. Um, 
And then I started to kind of build a community. I know that's like the, I love like, I love streamer talk because it's like, and then I built a community and my community is so supportive. And it's like, well, yeah, girl, uh, we built a community mm. around it. Yeah, that's good. Um, And people started to show up to play Pokemon Unite. People were playing Magic Gathering. People were playing Ultimate Chicken Horse together. So I, I built a Discord to keep everybody in the same sort of like digital space. Um, and then I got my first paycheck and I was like, I just made money from playing video games. What? Um, why did I go to college? Why did I go? What is <laughs> like, what in the world? Um, but the thing is about that is that like, it's all... So it's funny how you watch the puzzle pieces of your life shift and move around because now all the stuff about theater that I learned and producing and being entertaining and telling a story that all, instead of existing in a three-dimensional space now lives in this tiny box. Of course. And I'm like, I, Oh, I mock you only because it's not true. Right. You know, I recognize <laughs> and when we talk about that on the show all the time and I, I, I feel like, okay, so there's a couple of things I was just thinking. The first one is I keep talking to people about the differences in people who got out of the acting program while we were there and people who went through directing because mm. in acting, they get out and they're eligible for their dream job already and we are not. And so yeah. like, as Oof. soon as they graduate, people are like, come on and be the lead on a series or, hey, you know, Elizabeth Lale, like, I know I've been graduated for like 10 minutes. Yeah. You yeah. should, you're already talented and pretty and come do the thing on ABC. Come on, that, Isaac Opal. <laughs> it can, it can happen for them in, in a way that, you know, again, it can also happen. They can go to Broadway right away and then be on Broadway for like two years or get a series for a year and then it goes away and then they don't work for a fucking decade. It happens all the time in mixed ways. Mm -hmm. But what we have a guarantee of that first hit, probably not going to happen because no one yeah. wants to hire a 22, 24, 25 year old undergraduate directing degree student. Like yep. they're, they're like, Oh man, 25 and right out of undergrad. Would you like to do book of Mormon on Broadway? Like, <laughs> yes, you know, it's please. like, <laughs> it's like that they're <laughs> not interested in us. And so we already know going into the world, at least for a while, I've either got to be someone's assistant or I need to get out there and make my own stuff. I need to redefine yeah. what I expect my twenties to look like. And it's probably not going to be like, Hey man, you are so great. Here's your SAG card or here's yeah. your director's guild, uh, you know, fees paid. And it kind of gives you a weird freedom because you don't graduate with any expectation of like, mm. Well, all right. Well, I better start crushing it or this was all a waste of time. <laughs> and that's how so many of the actors feel. They graduate, they go to showcase, they don't get an agent, they don't get a manager, they move to New York, they audition their ass off for four months and they don't book anything. And they're like, so quit, like bail on this forever because this was a total mistake. And I'll just wait tables till I don't owe the government money anymore or Joe Biden gets his act together, whatever. Like, yeah. we'll just do that it's a totally different experience. And so I feel like we have this weird blessing. And from what I hear, Wiley kind of uh, mentioned this to me when I was talking to him, he was like, it's, they're doing so much more of that now. He's like, I'm not close to the school, obviously, like I was, 
But it's my understanding that especially under Scott and the way they've shifted things more around film, there's so much more emphasis now that Gerald's program is over that the new program is so much more about self-producing and making your own things and being more digital, yeah. and, which thank God it was time for that to, to happen. Yeah. But well, it's, it's I, I so love funny. seeing that it, it benefits you in this new cool way. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when we think about like, when I think about the um, Sharon Ott, Sharon Ott who applied for the artistic director position and she was running uh, SCAD and she was trying she was to running, take, um mm-hmm. she was trying to get what became Carl's job yeah she was trying to get, yeah she was trying to take uh get Carl's job before Carl stepped in and I remember she pitched to our class because our class got to interview these people she pitched this exact sort of concept I want you all to be able to edit YouTube videos, make YouTube content, know how to work your way around a camera, know how to do. And we all at the moment, we were like, yeah, no, this is not what all, no, not at all. I did not dig her vibe in, which is why I ultimately was kind of like, I don't know that this is right, but everything she was saying about digital stuff and getting more into shooting, I was like, like so excited. Well, I was torn too, because one of the things, and I still believe this, one of the things that I really loved about that school is even though I grew up in modern day watching television and film way more and playing video games way fucking more than I was watching theater. Like, unless you grew up in the Northeast, you might see an occasional play or fucking sound of music might get done at your high school, or you might get to, it's small potatoes. You don't get immersed in the culture and the world and the history and all that shit. Maybe you've seen a couple Shakespeare's live. Mm-hmm. That's very unusual. Most of us grew up watching fucking Nickelodeon and whatever our parents would let us watch and Disney channel. And yep. like, that's what we knew. That's what we were participating in. And yet, what I loved about Gerald's program is when I stepped into it, or I should say even before I stepped into it, and I was just admiring it from a distance from DMP going like, well, fucking that sounds fucking What's that? It was like the oldness of it. The fact that in this 2010 or whatever it was that I was like trying to transition over or mm-hmm. no, I guess it would have been like, Oh eight. It was like, you guys are talking about theater. Like it's fucking 1946. Like you guys are doing, you're talking about Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and like classic Mm -hmm. shit. And instead of having the immediate reaction of like, this is all old school and boring, even though I wanted to make TV, I was like, there's fucking value in this. This is like the reason people study Greek literature. And you're like, that was a long time ago. But yeah, they figured some shit out. And there's Mm -hmm. something about classics, whether it's Tennessee Williams or Shakespeare or you know, Oedipus Rex, like whatever the fuck, it's still, there's something timeless about this art. And that's how Gerald taught the program. And I think that's why even in his time of being so old school, and as Wiley put it, I think, um, training us all for an industry that had been dead. Yeah, It was like, but we still learned craft in a really crucial way that because we weren't all trying to run a YouTube channel after class, we were focused on like this old mm-hmm. fucking paper shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, there, man, I wouldn't trade that. I wish I could have no. done both and like in a way, but I think concentrating fully on shit that was that old 
you know, we're talking about Jerome Robbins more than we're talking about fucking Quentin Tarantino or Mike Schur, yeah. even though they were mm-hmm. like the people making the things that we all got excited to go do for real. It, it there's there's some kind of crazy value in that. Did you feel that way when you were there? I well, you know me. I was the um I was the person who was pushing back on uh <clears throat> Tennessee Williams and stuff at the time, right? Yeah, I, what I was remember. the acting class? What was the acting class where I was like, no, I didn't read that play because it's boring. I, check off. I, yeah, check off. I was like, I can't. Yeah, I it no. was we were not getting you to read about two sad Russians <laughs> in a room not talking about it. Not talking, yeah. Like, there's a <laughs> Which gun is all in the of room, Chekhov. right? Yeah. That's all I need to know. There's a gun in the room. You could um, easily do all of Chekhov as Koreans, I've found out. <laughs> from getting to know my new family and it would play perfectly. It's just like them talking about something else while talking about do- boring shit. Uh-huh. And it's all about reading between the lines because they refuse to have an actual real direct conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Fascinating. <laughs> it's hard to act. I, I'll give them yeah, that. I can't, yeah, can't do it. <laughs> I, I definitely respect the craft part, right? I think the, what, what I learned was so valuable in how to do the doing than Mm. anything else. Um, Because I see so many people, so many artists, friends who are in this constant state of second guessing and this constant state of planning way too much. Like you just got to do it. And people will spend months planning to do a thing And then by the time it gets time to do it, they're either over it or it's my producer brain says it's too late to do it. Right. Like, and what I learned with Gerald was just like, just do it. Just make the thing, write the thing, film the thing, put it out into the world, move on. And that, and also move on without expectation of whether or not it's going to do well. And it's such a huge asset and mindset to, um, to have now as an adult. Right. Because I think, Yes, we learned how to tell stories visually and narratively, vocally. Yes, we learned how to be comfortable talking in front of people, right? How to be comfortable being ourselves, how to own ourselves. There are so many moving parts of that that have made it easier for me to be comfortable in front of a camera like this for so long, which uh, I was not before. Like When I think about the film class we took and I was like, camera, Um, but now I'm like, whatever. I spend so many hours in front of this thing now that um, it just feels normal. And, um, uh, but it's, it's the doing part of just sit down, stream the game, be present in the moment. And then when you are done, it's over. You rewatch it to learn what to do better and what not to do next time, but that's it. It's done. And then after that, so much content comes out around it and there's beautiful opportunity there. But also, girl, don't overthink it. Like, make the YouTube video, put it out, walk away. Don't check the numbers. Check the numbers two weeks later, a month later, then learn, you know? And I think Gerald's process and his method of teaching us how to operate in the world in that way was insanely valuable because what i do the career that i'm doing right now content creation if you're ever thinking about doing it or if you're just now getting into it it is a career about throwing spaghetti against a wall for years 
until you figure out what the fuck works yep. and what people want and don't want. You can't expect the first thing you make to be good. Like, and, uh, and that's, I also just will echo leaving school and trying to do directing work uh, as just a small throwback because it also felt like to me, it was the toxicness, the toxic environment of, well, you need a portfolio for us to give you work, but we won't give you work because you don't have a portfolio. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. That's how it is in so much of uh, this side of production. And they just Mm. don't do that to actors unless it's like the entire medium. They're like, if you've been doing theater for 15 years, you've never been on TV show. We're going to be a little nervous about putting you on a TV show. But Mm -hmm. other than that, they're like, oh, you've been doing sitcoms and stuff like that, but you fucking crushed this audition for this dramatic thing and you're good. They might just give you a shot if you're not famous. If you're famous for doing sitcoms, they're going to be like, I don't know because we don't want people to misunderstand what we're making. Right. That will fuck you. But there's a you, whole PR around that, you know. But they're they're not gonna be like, oh, well, you you played the like seventh cast member on a sitcom for like three years. All that tells us is you know how to come into work every day and do a thing and figure it out. Plus, we look at your audition, you fucking did great. We can really see you in the part. Here's your opportunity. Whereas if mm-hmm. I'm working on a reality competition show about ballroom dancing for six seasons on one of the number one networks seen by millions of people, I'm actively shooting the show with a camera on my shoulder. And then I go, hey, uh, next great baker or fucking whatever, like baking show. Can I do yeah. that? And they're like, well, have you ever worked on a reality competition cooking show? And I'm like, no, but I uh, we got like four other people uh, to see today. So if you could just stop wasting our time, that would be great. And I'm like, really? But I, but it's, it's, you still shoot like the same thing. It's a competition yeah. where a bunch of people show up and they try to do a thing and see who's the best one. And then at the end, somebody wins. And then we keep asking them as we go along, like, how are you feeling about that? And they're like, I'm really scared. And my name's Barbara. And they're like, oh, it's the same thing. Right. And they're like, it's not the same thing. You have a British guy who judges them and yells at them when they're bad. We do. Yeah. Like all the shows I work on. Right. But it's a different British guy. And we really just don't think you're going to be able to figure it out. It's we're talking cha-chas and cheesecakes here, fella. It's not the same. (laughs) And the fact that you think it is, is why you need to get out. Start over. I'm, I'm shocked. It's true. Uh, Wow. I mean, One, that's not verbatim. That's very, I added cha-chas and cheesecake because I, I, I yeah. wanted to spice it up and that was okay, good alliteration. I appreciate but that. No, no one said that to me, but they said I, it with their I, eyes. Uh-huh. To that, I say, that's a really cute horse you walked in on. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so high. It's so high. How did it get so high? <laughs> Ah, that's ridiculous to me. Um, but it's true. They just don't they don't want to let you get started unless you've already been there. And that's why, and this is a thing I've learned just in TV, and I'm sure it's gotta fucking be the same way in theater. What you do is you get this job, and you while you're on the job, you do this job, even though you don't get called that or paid that. Because it's someone's yep. someone around gives you the chance to do it. You're still a number two, but they're like, could you do the number three shit with none of the credit or money? And then just like for a little while, is that cool? And then later they go, you know what? 
normally we wouldn't hire a number two to do number three, but I talked to Steven and he told me that you, when you were on this show, you do number three all the time. And so you actually yep. do know how to do it. So we'll give you a shot and then boom, you're in the fucking club forever at number three. And then mm-hmm. it goes up and up and mm-hmm. it is that way everywhere. And what people don't realize, and this is their big mistake. I listen to people about this all the time. They're like, we're a bunch of number twos and they're asking us to be number threes with no money and no title. And fucking we should unionize because this is bullshit. And you're like, yeah, but just know your worth and take the opportunity that's given you. And if they ask you to do it four times in a row and the fifth time, you don't want to fucking do it anymore because you think it's unfair. Quit and go try to get a job as a number three. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, that's part of it. It's part of it. If it, it's also for me, if you, if you're going to learn something new, if it's like a whole new skill or a whole new thing that you're going to learn because you're doing number three, when you're supposed to be, when you're here to do number two, then like I jump at that opportunity because I'm like, yeah, teach me something. Right. Is it a new experience for me? Awesome. Like, cause do I want to continue to show up and do be number two over and over and over again is that new no i become an expert at it in that field but like that's not going to take me as far as it needs to go like yes oh my god i echo retweet oh my god i literally like (laughs) the number of times in my career that i've like it's happening right now at my current work where we have um at my 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 day job which so i do organic organic social Organic social. Uh, I do organic social, uh, which is basically just run social media uh, for uh, the startup company that I work at now. And um, they have this big push. They're like, we want more video content. Oh my God, we want more video content. Holy mackerel. And I was like, okay, cool. We have an external vendor that we pay to do this, but it's an insane amount of money. And I was like, um, uh, staff hi, me up, bitch. Hi, I, I do this already in my own time. Uh, right. And they were like, oh, really? Oh, my gosh. So but I didn't ask for somebody's permission. Like we did a webinar and I said, hey, send me that webinar with some timestamps that you want. And they were like, OK, cool. Like this, this and that. And I was like, boom, here you go. Here's five clips from that webinar that can be pushed out onto social media that will link back to the full webinar video, which is gated. So you can get the information that you need right. from those people. And they're like, oh, Nobody asked me to do it, right? And I think like my part of that doing number three is also sometimes just don't ask permission to do number three and just do it. Yeah, and that's like, part of it too. As long as you're yeah. not going to step on anyone else's toes right. doing it. If if there's no one doing it, but you hear that there's a need for it, just just start doing it. Do you it know? for free. Do it for free. Um and now I just, I did a big push at work around that 60 second vertical video content. I was like, y'all, we got to be doing this. We got to be doing this. It's, it's what we need to do. And they're like, it's okay. a real good idea. It's a real good idea. So I whipped up, uh, I worked with our HR person to do, uh, do one for the intern, uh, interns that we had. And then we did one for our dinner at Black Barn, uh, as an event. And then we did, we had a box at the US Open, those things. Like thousands of views, the the Black Barn dinner video, it in twenty four hours became the third most viewed video on our YouTube of all time, and everyone was like, "Oh, I was like, yeah, now you get it." Like, <laughs> so, can I tell you something that I love about you that you taught me how to do? 
oh yes please i figured you might enjoy hearing something like that <laughs> validation um, what <laughs> you and i'm gonna give credit um to it's like two people who share number one credit and then number, there's like a sub person for the third like for backup uh-huh. credit but you and howard jones taught me a, a skill that i simply did not possess wasn't like uh, I, I can play the guitar, but it's just chords and I need to learn how to jam out. And that's what, no, I'm saying like, I didn't know what a guitar was. And you guys were like, all right, well, you're going to need to learn that to be in a rock band. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And what the skill was, was the ability to visualize in a real way, what a story looks like. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day, um, obviously well, I'm talking about Howard Jones who taught us uh, scenic design in our directing program through DMP and um, universally, like everyone I talk to is like, he's one of the greatest people ever. Um, yeah. So he's just an absolutely loved dude. Um, just wearing that, that uh, f- usually a flowing like flannel or like a denim <laughs> yes. overshirt yes. and glasses and a big bushy mustache. And, uh-huh. and, and the most relaxed posture of most teachers I've had, he would just come in a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, you know, yeah. And, uh, so much cut because he was teaching, you know, his second year scene designers and third year directors, which is an interesting mm-hmm. group. Cause you've got your second year scene designers who are just coming out of a year of fundamentals where they really didn't get to do that much. That was scene design. And now they're going to take their first scene design class. And so they're super pumped. Then you have us who are coming in with lots of ideas, thinking we know what we're talking about, but don't know how to do the thing. No, yeah, no way to do the thing at all. Yeah. Which is like building set models and literally designing a set for a play. And um, we were in that class at the same time that we had a conversation in Gerald's class. So we're taking that on one day. And then another day we have Gerald and uh, mm-hmm. Robert Besseda. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, no, and Ashley Jansen, yeah, uh, third year. And you said one day we're going over a play that we were all reading, and you're like, I have this problem where I'm reading the play and I can't hear it. You're like, I can see it, and I see the little people moving around in the play, and I read the stage directions, and I'm like, they're moving around this way, and I see the set, and I I can visualize it in such a literal mm. way hearing the dialogue naturally it's not like that it's like when i'm reading the play it's like it's like a it's like a list of what's happening as opposed to dialogue between two people and you were like almost anxious because you were like that's important huh like i didn't i don't know like i now i feel like i'm broken i feel like i don't know how to do something that's super crucial and i heard you say that and i remember going like dude I have the opposite problem. <laughs> I was like, I, I read every play and I'm hearing two people or three people talking, but I don't see shit. I'm not thinking like he's sitting in a chair and that guy's in a truck and this guy, but like, I don't, it doesn't even occur to me. I'm literally yeah. just like hearing it like a radio play. And that's how I'm taking in a play. And you're taking in a play like this visual thing where, like these these shapes and these colors are moving around and telling a story of this goes that way and then they're on top of each other and then they're over here in the bathroom and you're like seeing it all but to you it's like robot language and now I am in the yes. doorway and yes. I remember being like 
we have to work together. <laughs> like, this what's is the so... uh, what's the the dude? Where's my car? Where it's like, dude, what's mine? Dude, <laughs> sweet. Yeah, it was like the perfect complement of each other. And for the next two years, I feel like through osmosis, it's not like we sat down and we're yeah. like, how do we trade skills? But just that awareness that you were dealing with the opposite problem, and it didn't make me feel mm. crazy. It felt like, oh, well, he's dealing with that issue that comes naturally to me i'm dealing with the issue of the thing that comes naturally to him yeah and by watching i can only speak to what i learned versus like what you got out of it but for me just watching you create shit and hearing you talk about it all the way from like i read a thing last night dude it was cool to watching it be with like actors in a space with lights and set it's like Going on your journey of seeing it into making it taught me along with Howard's class of like, well, he's like, well, where are you going to put the fucking window? And I'm like, I don't know. We should Great look question. at the play and see. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I didn't think put the window question mark. Shit. I don't know. And like, so he was asking me all the literal questions of like, well, then this has to be this way. All right. They have to have an argument where he throws something up at her. It says in the script, throws it up at her. Well, she's higher then. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do that when the entire yeah. set is flat? You yeah. didn't put yeah, any yeah, stairs yeah. or anything. And I'm like, well, she's on the, she's on the ground and uh, she's going to throw it from the ground. Up yeah. And you try to come up with an answer. Like yeah. you did think of it. And then you're like, <laughs> we should just have a second floor, huh? Cause it doesn't say there can't be one. So I'll just fucking put, okay. All right. <laughs> no, second floor. Stairs. And like, and then watching you kind of already be ahead of those problems and be like, well, of course, you know, he says he's got to throw it up at him. So the way put stairs. And then I'm like, this guy just gets it. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) But I was doing the same thing with like sarcasm and jokes and like the dialogue was just like, oh, no, this is a bit. He's making fun of her because remember in act one, he said, blah, 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 blah. This line is insincere. And you're like, yeah. And I, I just I'm always grateful about it. I still think about it anytime I'm making something. And of course, the third person then is Gerald because of our um, art history um yeah. semester of just yeah. you know going through the literal pop-up books of art that that showed us sculpture and talked about things and in, in a really basic art history 101 way but mm-hmm. he would ask he did not just shove down facts down our throat and then make us take a test of who made this piece on this date and that bullshit he was like so you look look at this rothko painting and i'm like right it's red and he's like yeah, they all are. But yeah, here's the thing. What do you think about it? And I'm like, uh-huh. it's fucking red, man. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> like, what? And he's like, yeah, but put words to what it makes you feel. And then like, you know, what do you think about the fact that it's darker on the bottom than it's it's lighter on the top? Like, he could have done it the opposite way. Why? Do you, like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, yeah. What do you like? What do you mean? What do I think? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. What am I supposed I to think? I'm sick. He. I don't know. The black paint was heavier. I don't, I don't like, have thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And it's so stimulating to be asked questions like that, dude. You'll appreciate this because this is such a radical difference. So my wife went to conservatory for classical voice, and she grew up 
in like Christian Korean choirs singing and running choirs and like been singing since she was a kid. And she's yeah, got, go she to, can go she, tell it on the mountain. Yeah. She, nice. Yeah. She's got the fucking uh, perfect pitch. She's got all that. And she gets to college and they're singing like an opera and her voice teacher's like, so um, in the first like verse of this, like, what are you feeling? And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you're playing a character in a story. And she's like, it's sad. And he's like, yeah, well, their mom just died. So yeah, it's sad. But like, what are you, what are you, Candace, what are you feeling as you sing the song? And she's like, what are you saying right now? Yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm hungry. Cause I haven't eaten. Like, I don't get what you're trying to get at because she wasn't trained uh-huh. as an actor. She was trained yeah. as a singer. Like she was an instrument and had mm-hmm. never thought about putting emotions of her own into like acting the song. No voice yeah. teacher all the way up to 18 had ever said that ever. And it was her first time having someone being like, so you might need to learn how to do this because we're trying to teach you how to be a singer and you yeah. should think about what you're feeling. And she's you like, I don't yeah. get it. It was the same thing for me. They were like, That's... you have to, where's the stairs? And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like for asking me that, I don't know. The So the crazy thing is, is that like, I, one, thank you for that. Um, that warms my heart a lot. <laughs> Because I still I, think about it all the time. Uh, I think about the fucking plastic trash bag set you made in Sconey's room with the fucking sand on the floor. This guy still, thinks he can put fucking sand on the people floor. People still come up to me from school that was like, you were the guy who did the thing in Sconey's room, right? I was like, really? Y'all still talk about this? Mine's <laughs> complete works. And I did that when I was a first year. And I was like, you know, I did fucking how I learned to drive, right? It was fucking heartwarming and about pedophiles at the same time. No, think about that. Matter. They're no. like, no, but you did the thing where the three guys are uh, wear wigs. Yeah, and the wigs. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, fuck you. <laughs> I, so that, yeah, that, that part of my brain is still very active. I, it's like such a, from the brainstorming visual part of it, right? To, the um to the execution of it and i have also learned as i get older that's also just how i read books i really struggle with reading um fiction like i have i'm trying to get through the aragon series and i am absorbed in the story of it because i'm seeing the story i cannot for the life of me manifest how these people sound you know Mm. Which is why I'm a big person who loves books to movies, even if they're bad, because it at least gives me an auditory understanding of the people. I feel so that, that way because I... of the visuals. Right. I exactly. See it. I can't I fucking see, see it yes. unless you put the thing when in the desert. And if, if you don't do that, then I'm like, what am I supposed to picture the sand? What are you crazy? I don't know what Aragon sounds like. Like, uh, And it's funny. That also translates to my D&D when I play D&D. If I can't find the voice of a character, I can't play that character. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how the how rich the backstory is. If there's not an in to the to the one piece of the puzzle that I'm usually missing that I know that I can't find, which is always what does it sound like, mm-hmm. then it's not going to happen for me. Um, Do you think you're better at it now, though? Because I'm better at visualizing yeah. than I was. Wait, like yes. monstrously. I at least can make a choice. 
Yes, I do think I'm better at it. I think also what I what I learned from you, which I gathered in time, especially after like not spending time with you and then reconnecting in the mm-hmm. ways that we have. One, my cultural brain. Um, I always love a reference, but I think like the general <laughs> pop culture awareness that you always had when we were in school uh, was something that I sort of like osmosis into me because it became very important to know what was happening and what was on trend and what was funny and why it was funny. Um, but also just talking. I I was not a talker. I think like I spent a lot of time in Gerald's room and in a lot of classes in college being the person who was like, I'm going to speak when I need to speak, but otherwise I'm not. And I think that there's power in that for sure. Right. Talk softly, carry a big stick, whatever it is. But I, but as I get older, I'm now in a medium where I have to talk for hours at a time. Almost constantly. Yeah. You can't Almost just be, constantly. be there quietly. Yes. And I am also in a position at work where because I am owning a program, I have to speak up and speaking up is a huge part of advancing in my career, speaking up for myself when it comes to recovery and being sober and saying what I do and don't want. It's also a big part of like the people that I want involved in my community and who I don't want. Like there's so many versions of it that I I was like, I, it's funny when, you know, when you look at something and you like, you don't like it, but then the more you look at it, the more you start to like it. Sure. Like full transparency. I was like, man, Rob talks too much. It drives me crazy. Can you just like stop talking for a second? But then as I got older, I was like, that's a really fucking useful skill to have. (laughs) Just like, and it just sort of shifted lenses a little bit for me. Um, and now I love talking to you because I think we both can exist on this like sort of same plane um, in a new way. And I've tried really hard to get better at listening, frankly. Um, mm. My first ever, this is, I don't know how many times I've even tro- told this story, but it's quick and it's embarrassing. And uh, I was I mortified. love embarrassing stories. Let's oh, go. dude. So the first um, play that I was assigned to be an AD for um, after second year, cause I did Harper's Ferry, um, right. as a second year, but then, and, uh, waiting for the parade with Tanya, but yep. it was like this weird, you're a second year thing. So my first like proper directing intern gig was for Rob Ruggiero on streetcar named desire with, yes. um, Maddie Landers and Christian Daly. And what the, a queen, uh, what a asshole. queen Rob Ruggiero was. Yeah. But was that guy in the cast? Such a dick. Jonathan majors. He, um, <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> He's the man. I only say it because it's ironically not true. Uh, he was MCU a, star. Jonathan. He's Bajan. one of he's one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. Even if while we were at school, not everybody got him. I fucking love working with him, and I liked working with Rob. And Rob did not like uh, get along at all with his AD, his fourth year assistant Ben Carbo. They didn't click. Oh, yeah. They they it wasn't like a good fit. And we had this wave where for some reason or another, I think the first time Rob had to go, he was on campus for the first day. He had to go to some design meeting and I think Ben couldn't make it. He came to the second Mm -hmm. one, but maybe he wasn't like in town yet from whatever job he had over the summer. I can't remember. 
mm-hmm. but I got to go by myself. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to get the only attention I'm going to get all semester with this guy. And Ben's it. then going to come into town and he's going to be the guy. And I'm just going to shut the fuck up and take notes because that's my job. Yep. And uh, so I'm going to use this day to try to make a connection with him so that we will get along. And, I, and he won't just forget the quiet kid who took notes, right? Mm-hmm. I go to the meeting. I don't say shit, of course, in the meeting. But then we're leaving and he asked me a couple questions. And I answered them how I do. Uh, not shortly. And <laughs> at one point he goes, he's like smiling at me and letting me go on and on. And I really did take the questions for what seemed like that kind of, and he's not like this at all, if you know him, but I misunderstood it as almost like a Mary Irwin, Ashley Jansen, like forum for you to tell me who you are. Yes. It felt yep. that way. I just took this the is, questions uh-huh. that way. So I ran with it. And after like two questions, we'd been walking for a while and I was talking and he was like smiling at me the whole time and kind of letting me go. And then I kind of stopped and I like, you know, gave, you know, now you kind of moment that, that pause. And he goes, you talk too much. And I was like, (laughs) he hates me. He hates me. He's pointed out the one thing I'm insecure about more than anything else. Like I'm gonna, this has been really fun. Um, Rob melts on the pavement. Like I'm glad this is, this was a fun way to spend my last day on earth because yeah. I'm done with this now. And, uh, I was absolutely mortified. You do the like Winnie the Pooh ascension of just like out of your body, just like. <laughs> it was like the guys in Who Framed Roger Rabbit where they fall down and the ghost just like peels off of them and shoots yep. into the sky. That was me. Uh, or maybe even, yeah, it, 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 it was an out of body moment because I was, I, I felt like it was just a shot to the heart and I took the note. I didn't fucking talk to that guy for months. I just took my notes and I was having a really bad time with my ADD at the time. I ended up going back mm-hmm. on Adderall that semester because I was like, I'm in rehearsals for fucking Tennessee Williams and we're doing the same eight pages over and over again. And I love that play. Like for the record, I fucking love Streetcar so much. When mm-hmm. you watch it top to bottom, it is brilliant. Working on the same fucking shit over and over again of, <laughs> Oh man, sure is hot today. Good lord. How was that? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I was falling asleep. I was trying really hard not to play like games on my iPod. I think yeah. at the time was what I was doing. I was just like, I, I, oh my God, this is going to kill me. I'm sitting in these rehearsals every night and I'm like falling asleep. And, and now he's going to hate me because he's going to catch me fucking falling asleep. Meanwhile, this guy's over here like, Say you say it again. Like he's on the edge of his seat for every scene and and is like trying to be Blanche Dubois while he's directing. And I'm like, he's this is his dream to be working at a conservatory with great actors who are hungry to do Tennessee Williams. He's he's fucking directing uh, Kang the Conqueror, goddammit, and doesn't even he know it. He is directing Kang the Conqueror and doesn't, and he doesn't even know, know it. it. And I literally, I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> Pure tangent. When Jonathan Majors walked in in that scene, I literally went, "Son of a bitch! I got yogurt with this guy way back." And do that, like, you know, like, yeah. It 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 was such a crazy fucking thing. And then the wildest turn of events is he 
later just almost broke up with Ben by the time we got to cast uh, like tech rehearsals and we got into the actual, uh, it was in the the round in the, what's it called? It's called the Gerald Friedman now. Um, what the fuck do we call it? The thrust. The thrust. We were, so we're in the thrust main stage. As soon as we like transitioned over there to working on the set, he basically let, I think he assigned Ben to work with the designers and the crew to like make sure mm. if there were any notes to take them and bring them to him. He would sit in the light booth and different stuff, but he was basically like, I don't want you to sit next to me fucking taking notes. I just like, they didn't click with each other. And so he's like, yeah. Rob, do you want to come take notes for me in the space? And I was like, directly. I've, I've been on book for fucking three months, yeah. just staring at the play. And we ended up having a great relationship. And I almost, he almost tried to uh, hire really me a did. couple times, but man, it, it was a lesson. It was the perfect directing program lesson of like, I appreciate your enthusiasm. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. You have nothing yeah. to contribute. I know how to do streetcar, man. You're mm -hmm. fucking like 23 years old. And I'm like obsessed with this material. I, I'm gay, so I'm going to do Tennessee Williams way better than any, you know, partially bisexual, whatever the uh -huh. fuck you're doing. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, I'll shut, I'll shut up. I'll shut up now. And then I went from that to John Langs. <laughs> what a pivot. John yes. Langs. Oh my God. Who's banging on me and Samip, who are both taking notes. He's like hitting us in the, in the fucking notepads, like faster you both have to write faster i don't know how we're gonna do this <laughs> you need to write faster faster right now yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> write it down oh my god write it down um, you also write everything down you still do that what? yeah i do i have a um i have a i have a journal that i like i always have a journal on me that's um just a constant ongoing because what i've learned actually this is a little bit new of a topic for me uh that I've been navigating with my therapist, I'm learning as I get older. And also as I exist in a digital, a more digital and more social media space, my brain is starting to, um, uh, if I don't write it down, it's gone. It's like, ah, ooh, it's gone. Right. And it's like, ha, who, ha, you know, there's like things are flying so fast. Um, I think that's a that's a situation of our age, our digital age, right? Um, and so I really started to lean into my journal a lot more. As soon as an idea comes to me, I have I'm like, mm, just whatever, you know. That's crazy. Just, you say that's more intense because I remember you being like that then, like ten years ago. I was like, this motherfucker well, writes down everything. I well, that's the thing. I used to write down everything. I it. That's funny that you say that because like maybe I'm just like becoming more hyper aware of it. And I think that it's a new concept when it really it's like a concept that's just been a part of me. But I'm so I jealous of it because I just don't have the attention span for it. My brain doesn't work that way. I've tried to do it. I do it a little bit more like I just wrote I wrote down a note for myself for this episode just mm -hmm. because I want to go back and look at a thing. I'm terrible about that. And I've had jobs taking notes for other people for a decade's worth of like time accumulatively, but I've yeah. never brought it into my, so my personal life. And I was always jealous. I was like, this motherfucker gets to look back on his shit. Yeah. Well, that's also, there's a level of nostalgia going through a journal when I'm done, but it's also like, sometimes I 
the solution for a thing just pops into my head walking down the street. And mm. I'm just like, oh, like I was trying to solve I was trying to solve how to do a, a scene transition on my OBS for the Twitch channel. And I've tried, I was like, I can't fucking figure this out. What do I do? And then I was walking down the street and I was like, duh, it's that. I didn't, that just like fell out of the sky and into my brain. Right. And if I don't write it down, I'm going to get on the train and get to work and then go, what's that thing? I, I solved it. What was the thing? Ah, it's gone, you know? Right. Um, but I also now, the pivot to marketing was hard for me, but I found that the solution was writing everything down hmm. because in marketing and in content creation, there's multiple planes flying at the same time. Right. Like it's not what goes out on social media for a company that large has to be tactful. It has to be planned and coordinated and executed months in advance. I usually am planning social two to three months in advance. And as I'm starting to like create more video content and ramp up on YouTube and figuring out how do I leverage this Twitch streaming into TikTok content, YouTube content, Instagram, Instagram stories, I have to map all that out and right give that to like my video editor to be like, we're going to, we're editing and this is what you're editing in this order. I need you to do this first and then that, and then that, because we're going to release them in this order for a specific reason. Like I have this whiteboard wall here has literally like, all right, we're going to do this 60 second vertical. And then we're going to do that. And then the YouTube video is going to drop here in the middle of the month because I need to do that. That's why editors I've, in film and television don't work in the Bay by themselves all day. A lot of people mm, think really? they do. Yeah, because you think like, you know, a director makes an editor or makes a film on location. He shoots it on now cards. Those cards go into a big server. Then they pull that into an editing program and the director goes off to do something else. And the editor's like, all right, I'll have a movie for you in a few months. It's like, no, the editor is the is the person who is carving the wood but that doesn't mean they're also the person who made the design. Right. You know, the editor is the TD, but they still need a scenic designer. And there are people who do both jobs, mm. but man, no, like producers sit in, especially in reality TV, which is what I've had the most experience with. You don't, not all day are you sitting side by side, but the editor doesn't just, unless they're filling a formula, you know, like let's yeah. say you're talking about um, a car commercial. <laughs> yeah yeah and it seems to be like the same thing you have it's twenty five thousand shots of the chevy pulling up on the hill mm -hmm. but but if somebody the director still ha or someone a producer has to tell them like all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna tell it narratively so like mm. have it get up the mountain by the end of the video and we right. it needs to be about 60 seconds and honestly don't have him reach the mountaintop until like right before it's over. And then mm, that's the big yeah. finale. And then we're good. Or have him reach the mountaintop at first and then do all the spinning round shots where we can be like, it has this feature, that feature, whatever. Like it depends on the kind of commercial they want to make. Someone has to give them that direction. If they're doing like America's got talent and they're doing the, the, the 
what we call like the intro OTF or on the fly interview where the Mm. guy is like about to go on stage and they're standing backstage and they're like, they're taking up the one third of the screen and they're Mm -hmm. like, Hey, what's going on? My name is Rob. I'm from Austin, Texas. And I'm a juggler. It's like, that gets cut the same fucking way in every single pod of every single episode. So once you find the footage and you pair it with the audio, you know, the graphic goes over here, you know what you write at the top, you what you write at the yeah. bottom, you take yep. the whole thing, you cut out all the parts where the producer was like, tell us where you're from. And they're like, okay, Hey, what's up? My name's Rob. I'm from, and then you like pair out, cut out all the fat. And then you show it to a producer who goes, take the third take of, him saying his name and where he's from. And then you had him, the producer had him tell the story of how he got into juggling like four times. The third one is the best one, except the last line of the first one was fucking great. So put that at the end, put that together. And then I'll see you in a fucking after lunch. Cause that's (laughs) going to take time. Yeah. And then they go in and they go, okay, I'll cut it that way. Then they run it by the fucking producer again. Who's like, the way it popped in was good on that one shot, but can you not go quite so close? Like it lo- it just looks weird. Can we get more headroom mm-hmm. on that? Gives them notes. They do another pass. And that's how like every fucking TV show is made all yeah. the way through. It has to go back and forth between that person. When you, to get back to what you're talking about, you being the content creator, you can have an editor, but they need direction. Yeah. They I am, need to yeah. be told. I am producer, director, writer because i'm actually executing the content and then yep. pushing it to do you know who my editor is bt dubs by the way no fucking michael johnson i love michael johnson great. so much <laughs> we had we had a great reconnect at leah cadigan's wedding um where he is also two years sober our sobriety dates are like two weeks apart from each other and i was like what are you doing he was like well me and my girlfriend stream on twitch i was like get the fuck out and he's like yeah and i just quit my catering job to do video editing full time but i i don't have any clients yet and i went get the fuck out you know like <laughs> <laughs> and we totally like just connected and he's great i like i push him content i i give him like the here's the gist uh i do the pre-editing for him because a stream is three to four just for context of how this works right a stream is three to four to six hours i go through i rewatch it and i say this is garbage that's garbage this is funny keep that you know condense that down to like a 30 to 45 minute video that's still too long for a rough cut right it's still too long for youtube though so i hand that to michael and michael goes through and he adds uh, he's learning my aesthetic as he edits, which I which I think is a really cool process for me to watch unfold is to have yeah. watch somebody learn your aesthetic mm-hmm. and also tell you what your aesthetic might be that you might not know about yet. Um, so he adds the jokes, he adds the emotes. He's very comfortable and familiar with YouTube comedy, light crank gameplay. It's like Marky Plier. Um, so and then he sends me the cut. He's like, here's the first draft. What do you think? I'll rewatch it. I send him notes. I'm like, I love this joke. We can do this here. That joke doesn't really land for me. Or it could land if you make it shorter. Like, whatever. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, And then I send the notes back to him. He makes the second edit. And, like, that's usually our back and forth. But when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm having to... It's in content creation as the solo person, if you don't have an editor which I didn't have an editor before. And that took so much editing takes so much fucking time. I do all Um, my own podcasts myself. 
Yeah. How long does it take you? What's a ballpark? It really depends on the show. Like right now I'm producing three different podcasts that I also edit. And so for this one, um, at the elephants is going to air. I mean, the audio has always been the heart of at the elephants, which is why I make sure that people have good mics and stuff like that as best as possible, because for years there was no video to it. And I also for years didn't do it remotely because I wanted it to be really authentic and Mm. feel like live. And, uh, then I finally was like, man, I don't want to fucking not make it like I want to make it and people are far away and that's what it is. And so now this one is going to be me basically taking these R2 images that people are watching right now and putting them in the editor and stacking them on top of each other vertically so Mm -hmm. that it airs as a vertical video on YouTube everywhere it lives. Uh, It's just a vertical show. Um, because it's remote, who gives a shit? It doesn't feel weird to see us in two separate boxes. No. Like it would if we were in person and then I put them like that, which I may do yeah. occasionally, but mostly this show's going to live like we're watching it right now. Like one, you know, mm-hmm. like a zoom call right on top of each mm-hmm. other, but I'll just clean up like the framing and stuff like that and make it kind of match. Um, that'll probably take me like with importing and exporting it an hour and a half, maybe. Like it'll be simple because I'm not going to cut shit. This is a long show. It's always been a long show. <laughs> Buckle I don't, up. I don't. I don't cut it out. At the elephants is as long as the conversation is, and unless someone comes back later and is like, "I really didn't like the fact that that came up," and could we take that section out? It's yeah. not the show it was when I started. When I was making like this American Life version and putting in music and score and stuff, um, it's really evolved past that because of time. But then mm-hmm. we are new, which is the one I do with my wife. Yes, yes. That's a three camera setup, a four camera yeah, setup. Yeah, that's because... a nice setup. I I watch that shit and I'm like, this is not. I I don't even have like two cameras. Like that's lit. We've got three cameras on us, and then we Kyle, our producer, has his own angle. Um, that's great. So the final edit is a four cam multi cam switch, which then. I've got a dude. It's like a TV show that I make by myself. It really is because I take all four videos, I color correct them, I pair them to the microphone audio, export all of those as workable files, make a multicam sequence out of that. Then I have to watch down the show and pick the cameras, like yep. the shot by shot, second by second in real time. That probably takes like for an hour and a half show, which it can be. That probably takes like three hours, two two or three hours to like get the that done. And I try to make use of the time by like, that's when I'll make my notes about mm-hmm. there's a reel, there's a piece of like funny mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even that, I, I make ads for that show, like you fake do. ads. Yeah. That's part of the bit. Um, yeah. I have to shoot those. I have to edit all the, I make all my logos for the fake companies. Yes. Panamanian anal beads. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, I like have to go find an anal bead silhouette and then find Panama and put them together and write oh, the man. title. Rob's so Google it's history. A, it's a lot of creative his like uh-huh. a lot of creative um stuff at play with making that show. I also I haven't done it as much and I wish I had more time because I would do more of it. We did uh we did a game at one point called Smasher Pass. Where you like it's like almost like yes. fuck Mary Kill. Yes, I love and I love Kyle. Kyle brings us the game. So when we play a game or do like a quiz on the show, he's like, I brought you this, and that's what we're gonna do. That's like what part of his job. 
So he brought Smasher Pass. And I was like, what the fuck is that? He goes, we spin a wheel from like a TV show. It picks character. And you're like, would you smash it or do you pass it? And I was like, yeah. okay. And he picks uh, Harry Potter, which he thought would oh, be funny no. because oh, I know it. And Candace does not know Harry Potter at all. Like zero. Oh, nice. <laughs> so she's just on the image of the person just alone. Just on who we're looking at. She's like, <laughs> smash it, which is kind of funny when you're like, you don't really know what that guy's like. Uh, but here's what got weird really fast. Um, they're all children. Yeah. And we're, and I'm like, and I'm like, uh, Kyle, this is weird. He's like, it's not literal. You're not supposed to be thinking about having sex with them. It's just like smash or pass. And it's I was literally like, smash or I was pass. like, yeah, but smash is fuck. What are you talking about? I'll have to send you that segment. Cause it's really funny. What but, version did he bring you? Are there still like 12? Like, is this like literal source? They don't stone? all look old. Yeah. It's like some <laughs> of their image. Well, even so dude, the oldest one, the oldest characters are supposed to be like 17 years old. Like yeah. I'm in my thirties and I'm like, and not only that, because of my work in Hollywood, Candace and I have both met some of these people. And so we're like, I mean, Felton now saw him not long ago. Sure. <laughs> this picture, I'm not at agree to fuck this 14 year old, like albino kid. What are you talking about? And so when I cut the episode, <laughs> when I cut the episode, I was like, I'm going to make a song. And so I, I wrote a song and like recorded me singing like smash or pass, smash or pass and like an intro thing with a graphic. And then I ended it with like, like I was, I made a, a rhyme out of it. it was like, if this segment is not your style, you can blame it on, on Kyle. Like it was like, it was like throwing <laughs> him fully under the bus. And then that's like, at the end I whisper, I'm like, Kyle made us do this. <laughs> so it's like. I want to just hold my hands up and be like, the thing you're about to watch that like, gets weird. I didn't fucking do that. Not my thing. Not and my I fault. put his like Instagram, like DM him if you have a problem, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear about it. Oh and I wish I had more time to do that. If I, if I, if the show took less time to make overall, I would, if I had an editor doing a lot of that work for me, I would be putting my energy into making like extra stupid shit like that. Yeah. And then I have a new podcast that I'm producing for a, um, some people, uh, some people that I've worked with on a TV, I have to be very careful about how I word this because of like yeah, yeah. contracts and stuff. Yeah. Some people that I work with have worked with on another show came to me and were like, we want to do a podcast. We know you know how to do that. Will you help us make it? And so they're going to be putting out their show under my channel. Like we are new as a studio mm -hmm. as opposed to just like we are new the show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, and I'm looking to grow that over time and, and add a bunch of new things to it. I'm actually going to be putting the people will be watching this. If you're watching the full length episode and not just a segment, you're watching you this for on, making it this far new studios. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. God bless. Why yeah, you really dude, people listen to this show and they listen to the whole really? fucking thing and it blows my mind. I mean, we'll Do see you know what, what one happens of my favorite, with the relaunch. Yeah. You know, one of my, one of my favorite things that people, uh, YouTubers do, which is that like, uh, put write uh write the word pretzels in the comments if you got this far, you know, and then you see how many people actually put like the word pretzel. That's a great in the idea. Yeah, just to, like see never how thought of far that. people get through the listening of it. Well, so. folks, if you're still watching, pretzel it up. Pretzels, right? So. Pretzel down there. Yeah. Get creative. Tell me your favorite <laughs> kind of pretzel. What are they dipped in? Are they dry like you? Chocolate um, covered. Chocolate covered. Yeah. Um, you hold on do a it. second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
As we wrap it up for a second, I'm going to give you a little surprise here. Alexa, Please. turn on stream lights. What? There you go. This is amazing. Now the party's going. And then we do that. Dude. There you go. I this feel like the, I got this to is this party late. Vibe. This is the full like vibe. <laughs> I feel like we were hanging out in the club at like seven o'clock. And now yeah. it just hit nine and people are gonna start showing up. And I'm like, I gotta take off. This was fun. Yeah, this is um my work was gonna throw away these giant Lego blocks. And I was like, oh no. So I took them, I threw them all into an Uber. And um, filled the clear ones with fairy lights and like sort of built this this stream. Dude, this stream background, awesome. you can if you watch my YouTube videos, you can see the background grow over time. It used to just be the dresser and what was on top of the dresser and like a little bit over here. And then it's just like grown and grown and grown. But tell everybody where they can find the magic on the YT and the TWITCH. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can find me on YouTube and Twitch under Cop Cop. So it's K0PP, K0PP. Um, I'll send you, I have a media kit link, Rob, you can put into the stuff. That's got my Hell Twitch, yes. my YouTube, my Twitter, my Instagram. Um, but yeah, I stream on Twitch uh, three times a week. Uh, and then I release a YouTube video roughly twice a month right now with a bunch of vertical content. So I bill myself as your um your friendly neighborhood sober streamer. So if that's yes. up your alley and you like sassy content, uh, come check it out. <laughs> I love that, dude. Thank you for talking to me. And I this is your second time on the show. You did like episode two. I did. OG. OG. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate you talking to me, dude. This was super fun. Thank it you went for long, me. but it's because I had a fucking. Blast. I don't care. Yeah, that's sweet. This is this is like. This is hanging out on a porch in North Carolina. That's what this is. You know, mm. can go on forever. <laughs> At the goddamn elephants, baby. Yes. All right. I All love right. you, buddy. I love you, buddy. Bye. Mwah.